A financial plan requires planning. It's savings, RRSPs, investments, and planning for the unexpected. TD Term Life Insurance can help protect your family's financial future if you were to unexpectedly pass away. You can apply for TD Term Life Insurance online or over the phone by speaking to a licensed advisor. If you're under the age of 55, you could be approved for up to $500,000 of coverage without a medical exam. Conditions apply. TD Term Life Insurance is underwritten by TD Life Insurance Company. Visit tdinsurance.com slash termlife to learn more. The Canadian Football League has unveiled a bold plan for a return to play this year after missing the 2020 season due to the COVID-19 pandemic. While the start of the season has been pushed back later into the summer, the league is eyeing games with fans in the stands and the latest Grey Cup ever. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Postmedia national sports writer Dan Barnes joins me to discuss the plan, why having in-person attendance is crucial to the league, and whether it can survive another lost season. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Dan, after months of wondering, we finally have word on when we'll see the next CFL season. What is the basic blueprint for play this year? Well, it's hope. <laughs> That's at the very core of it is hope that uh, Canadians get vaccinated. It's hope that the variants get under control. It's hope that they can have fans, significant numbers of fans in all nine stadiums. Mm-hmm. Because if that doesn't happen and it doesn't look like it's going to happen, then August 5th will become an obsolete date and they'll push it back even further. So the proviso is they want to start August 5th, but they can only do that if there's, again, significant numbers. And what is a significant number of fans? It's got to be at least a quarter. It's got to be at least 25%. There are some teams talking about starting at 50% and jacking it all the way up to 100 by the end of the season. That's really optimistic. Wow. BC was talking about starting with 5,000 people. And, you know, feel free to, to wonder about a BC Lions ordinary attendance count anyway Mm -hmm. you know they haven't done very well in the last couple of years so if that's as low as they're gonna go then maybe they get to play maybe Saskatchewan and Manitoba because their COVID numbers are better maybe they get some fans in the stands and maybe the three Ontario teams and the Montreal Alouettes have to actually play three or four games in a row out west because they simply can't have any people in their stadiums but This is very much dependent on people in the stadium spending money because CFL teams derive about 45% of their income from in-stadium buys. The word came out Wednesday, we're looking at a 14-game season with Grey Cup in early to mid-December. What went into that decision? How do we wind up with 14 games as opposed to trying to squeeze in 18 and playing into the winter or even a shorter 10-game season? Like, why do they settle on that 14 number? Well, 14 is optimistic. Again, they wanted as much COVID runway as possible. There's no way they were going to be able to start on June 10th. June 10th is an 18-game season start. There's no way they could do that. So they backpedal as much as they can, mm-hmm. and they get to 14 games, which is still a significant number. It's, I mean, they were thinking of six games in a bubble in Winnipeg last year. So yeah. 14 is gravy. It's gold. But if the COVID landscape doesn't allow that, 
they have contingency plans and they wouldn't get specific about them. Commissioner Ambrosi said, we have backup plans and we have backup to our backup plans. Well, there would be plans for 12 or 10 or 8. I don't know that they'd go below 8 games, but there are contingency plans and they are prepared to push the start date back if they have to. Mm -hmm. So the thinking was, let's get as many games in as possible, but again, only if we can have fans at the very beginning and at the very end. So it was a compromise, but it was a realistic one. And it was obvious that they just couldn't possibly cram 18 games in this year. I mean, as you mentioned off the top, we're still in a position where we're seeing a third wave of COVID-19 across the country, particularly in some of the CFL's biggest markets, like Ontario and Alberta and BC. Has this been signed off on by health authorities, or is it a case of they announce their plan and then they have to go to each provincial health authority and say, hey, here's what we want to do. Can you sign off on this? Their return to play protocols have been with all six provincial governments. So they've had what they call verbal confirmation from some of them. There's no formal confirmation because now they don't need it right now, right? So this will take some time. And along with having spectators, the other proviso was that they got sign-off from the provinces. So Mm -hmm. they need that, but they need it not now. They think they'll get a signal in mid-June when they normally would have been starting to play. They'll get a signal on whether they'll be able to have training camp in early July and whether they'll be able to start the season in early August. So yeah, yes, they obviously need public health authority to do that, but they just don't need it at this moment. Now, as you mentioned earlier, the hope that they have fans in the stands comes from the fact that teams rely on a huge amount of their revenue every year from ticket sales. Like how big a hit did the league take from not having a season last year and you know, even the concern that they're going to have a shortened season this year. Like, how big a hit was it that makes it that much more important that they have fans in the stands this year? Well, this is where it gets a little interesting because the teams that have lowest attendance, they actually lost less money by not playing in 2020 than they did by playing in 2019. And it comes to the fact that when you play, you have to pay your players, you have to pay for travel, Mm -hmm. you have to pay for a training camp and a training camp. I mean, I've been told a training camp cost could run you half a million dollars. Hmm. Travel is expensive. There are salaries and benefits to pay for players. There are game day costs. And now when you have significant fans, all those things are covered. So, you know, in Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, they're great. They cover all their expenses because they have very healthy crowds. But Mm-hmm. In a place like BC where crowds aren't so healthy or Toronto where they're really not healthy, then you're putting out all this money for a game and not getting enough revenue back. So you actually lose more when you play. It has been widely reported that the CFL teams combined for a loss of at least $60 million by not playing in 2020. Could that be worse if they play a season in front of no fans? Absolutely. That's the impetus here to get fans in the stands is because the red ink would flow even freer if they play an entire season without people in stadium buying, you know, hamburgers and booze and paying for their tickets, obviously. What is the line at which the league has said, well, we won't play or, you know, we'll push things back. Is it, you know, case numbers in the community? Is it, you know, they start training camps and then people in the training camps get sick. Like 
where is their kind of, this is our red line and we won't cross it? I think that's somewhere in June. I think they have to read the COVID landscape. They have to be told by public health authorities at that point whether it's likely that uh, their return to play protocols will include people in the stadiums or not. Mm -hmm. They believe that there will be plenty of information available in mid-June. It's up in the air what the date is. I don't have a go-forward date or not, but they believe that the amount of information available to them in June will inform their decision to go ahead with training camp as early as, I believe, July 9th or 10th, something like that. So I guess if you're looking for a line in the sand, that would be it. I assume, you know, the league is on board. They want to see play return. But what about the players? How do they feel about this? Like, I assume having lost a season and a year's worth of wages, they want to get back on the field. But do we know if there are any concerns about the health aspect or even the possibility of reduced pay due to reduced revenue, things of that nature? Oh, I'm sure there's, those are all concerns. I, I spoke to Brian Ramsey, the executive director of the CFL Players Association, and he doesn't want to speculate on what kinds of accommodations will be asked of them salary-wise because he says, and rightfully so, that his membership has already given at the office. Not only did they give up, or most of them give up, all income, football income, from you know the end of 2019 by not having a 2020 season. There are some players, obviously, who got off-season bonuses, but they're in the minority. Mm -hmm. So most of them not only took that hit, but then when they were asked to rework their contracts downward, they did so. And he said most players have already taken a provisional haircut for the 2021 season. If they get asked to go down again because there's 14 games instead of 18, that's going to be a very contentious issue. There are plenty of things that they have to solve. Currently, the collective bargaining agreement will have to be amended in many places. They've done some of that or maybe a lot of that work uh, was agreed to as they approached the bubble in Winnipeg last year. Mm -hmm. So they've got some of that groundwork done, but obviously salary will be very contentious and the players are of a mind that they've already given enough. The league has a sizable contingent of homegrown talent, but... As we know, Americans make up a big portion of rosters as well. Are those players in Canada or do they go back home to the U.S.? And do we know if they did, if they'll be able to come back up here given the border is closed? Is that something the league still has to work out? I'm sure it does. Most of their American players, I believe, live in the States. There was somebody reported that a player was told by his team to expect to quarantine for seven days. So get to uh, wherever he was going. I think it might have been Regina mm -hmm. by the 2nd of July in preparation for a July 9th training camp. So if it's a seven-day quarantine, maybe that's best case scenario. I don't know. And, you know, the, obviously with the border issue, that has to get ironed out. They will need, obviously, federal authority for these players to come in and quarantine wherever they're going to quarantine. So that obviously is a big part of their return to play protocol health and safety wise obviously doesn't have to happen until july but they will need sign off that would be part of the information that they would need in mid-june so let's say we get to mid-june and they the league looks at it and says well shoot we got to postpone it and worst case scenario over the summer cases don't really go down or they feel it's not feasible to have fans in the stands variant strains of covid19 take hold all of these unknowns are at play how significant could it be for the future of the league if we were to lose like half of this season or even a whole season? Well, significant, absolutely. But the death knell, I don't believe so. I know there are teams that believe they can survive another season without football. 
There are others that, that doubt that that's the case. Mm-hmm. It's going to be devastating financially for sure. Either way, whether they play, I mean, and they won't play in empty stadiums. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. So if they're not allowed anyone in the stadium, then there won't be a season. There are enough teams that say they can't afford to do that. They would take on far too much debt. Mm-hmm. That is a no-go. That's a non-starter. But yeah, it, it would be terrible. I mean, obviously, nobody wants to lose two years of revenue, you know, yeah. and pile up losses at the same time. It's just, I don't know that it would kill the league. I don't believe it would kill the league, but it would set the league on a path of recovery that could take five or whatever years. Since the announcement was made, one of the things I've seen most talked about on places like Twitter is the fact that the Grey Cup is going to be in Hamilton in December and it gets cold here and all of that. As someone who follows the league, is that really that big a deal? It gets cold here in November as well, right? Like late November in Hamilton is is not much different than mid-December in Hamilton, I would assume. Like, is that a concern or is that just something that people are getting hung up on or making fun of? I believe they're just having fun with it. December 12th, I looked up the historical highs and lows for Hamilton. Minus six. I mean, for heaven's sakes, <laughs> we get minus six in June. So, yes, of course you can live with that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when the Eskimos played in Hamilton, you know, in that Grey Cup where it was like snowing like crazy, I, I can't even remember the year. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. But minus six? If they get the historical low, right, the historical average low of minus six, they'll be laughing, absolutely laughing. First of all, because they're having a Grey Cup. Yeah. And nobody could say for sure today that that's going to happen. So that would be good. But, yeah, it's that's a joke. I mean, it, yes, it will be the latest date for a Grey Cup, but only by a couple of days. Well, maybe even only by one day. I think they might have had one once on December 11th. Mm-hmm. So it's not a big deal. This is obviously coming at a time of tumultuousness for the CFL. They didn't get a bubble season last year. One of the most surprising things this year for the CFL is is the talks with the XFL ownership group, including movie fans, wrestling fans, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. What is the latest on that? Or what, what was kind of the impetus for those discussions? And where are things at with that? Well, I would love to tell you where they're at, but I don't know for sure because <laughs> nobody's talking about it. When you ask Randy Ambrosi, he talks in circles because he doesn't want to let you know. I've also been told that most principals involved in the talks have had to sign non-disclosure agreements, so mm-hmm. you get very little. So all my requests for interviews with Danny Garcia and Redbird Capital and Dwayne Johnson and even Jeffrey Pollack, the, uh, I think he's the president or CEO of the XFL, you just do not get access, so you do not get information. So stuff trickles out about them talking about business. And that makes perfect sense to me that you start with a business case for this thing. You don't talk about amending the rules until you have an agreement on how you're going to make money. Because this thing has to be about money. It has to be about expanding their footprint, scaling up. You know, the XFL is interested in scaling up from its eight teams The CFL might be interested in scaling up from its nine teams because, you know, if you get to 17 or even more to 20 teams or whatever, then you can start talking about real dollars, real American TV dollars, streaming dollars, Mm -hmm. gambling dollars, all kinds of things that would make this an attractive idea. But I believe they're only in the formative stages of talking about business rather than talking about, you know, the size of the bloody field or the rouge or whatever. 
So a, a lot of talk that I'm seeing about people freaking out about the fact that like we could lose the flavor of the Canadian game, at least at this point, is premature because we're way away from that. Yeah, we are way away from that right now. Could a uh, hybrid uh, XFL, CFL league sap some of the Canadianness? Absolutely, it could. But if it doesn't work, the CFL goes back to being the CFL. Mm-hmm. It's already happened once, right? The U.S. expansion, it happened. Yeah. They went there. It didn't work out. They came back to being the CFL. The CFL, and I, I tell this story a fair bit because I covered it in 1987 when the Montreal Alouettes folded like days before they were supposed to play their home opener. It survived that, despite the fact that everybody was saying, oh, this will just be the first of many franchises to fold. And then what happens? Mm -hmm. Well, nothing happened, right? They're still alive. They are the cockroach in the kitchen. They will outlive me and my kids, probably my grandkids. So I don't consider this a gamble that says you either make a CFL-XFL hybrid work or you're all dead. I just don't believe that's the case. Right. I mean, like the Alouettes folded, the Ottawa Rough Riders folded, and we have teams in both those cities now. Yeah. I don't know why people would suggest that if they gamble on some sort of merger, that they could never go back to being what they are. I mean, there's always going to be an appetite in Canada for a summer sport like the CFL. They got a market. Would it be drastically different? It could be a smaller version of the CFL. It could be that they can't afford to pay general managers as much as they're earning right now, that, you know, a quarterback can't possibly be worth $600,000 in the CFL, in a new CFL. All those things are possible. They may have to scale the business down because right now, even in a good season, Randy Ambrosi says the team's combined to lose as much as 20 million bucks. That's in a good year. Mm -hmm. That's not a healthy business model. So those things have to be attended to, whether it's in concert with the XFL or on their own. If the XFL deal doesn't go ahead, like what does the league do? I know there's been lots of talk about like expanding the TV market internationally and bringing in players from Mexico and South America and and elsewhere. Like, is that the strategy for growth long term for the league? That's one strategy, absolutely. And they've mined the fertile Canadian soil for as much money as they can get right now. Mm-hmm. Right? They have tapped out, and so that prompted. Randy Ambrosi to lead them into their so-called 2.0 initiative. And the idea was go get some players. Hopefully some of them start playing regularly. Hopefully some of them turn into stars and hopefully that interest translates into streaming deals in Europe and Asia and a TV deal in Mexico or two. And, you know, these are not big dollars, but they're new dollars and that's what they need. Mm-hmm. whatever else they can possibly do they they are really interested in the single game betting bill that has now passed third reading and should be law real soon because that's going to be a bit of a licensing gold mine for them they have to license their data because when you're getting people to bet on your games they have to have reliable accurate up-to-date data all the time on who's playing who's injured and all that kind of thing and so the CFL will ultimately partner with some entity that provides that data to betting houses and to individual bettors. So there's all kinds of money to be made from that industry, and they're excited about that. Will it make a huge difference to the bottom line? Possibly. 
but it's not the only thing that they've got going. The international strategy is not the only thing they've got going. It can't be that long before they get a video game. They mm-hmm. have to have a video game to keep kids involved. So they have to branch out and get as many revenue streams flowing as possible. It only makes sense that they would look beyond their own borders. Well, it's fascinating times for the CFL, and I guess the first step we'll see if we get a season later this year. Dan, thanks for your time. You bet. Thanks. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Dan Barnes. More from him at torontosun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>